So passages that talk about defending against a physical attack, there's a lot of those as well, Old and New Testament. Yes. Yeah, the, probably the, the primary verse in the Old Testament comes from Exodus 22, uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, if a, a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. This is Life in Christ podcast. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm one of the elders here at the Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. Life in Christ is a podcast that we've begun recording in an effort to try to bring sound doctrine and biblical discussion to the podcast world. We hope that if you're interested in the topics and the themes that we're discussing, you'll find these podcasts edifying. If you have any thoughts or questions, we're always eager to hear from you. Contact us at the Landing website, or you can reach out to our email or phone. It's my privilege today to welcome one of the elders of the Landing, Howard Hayes. Howard, welcome and thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're talking about self-defense today. This is actually part of a larger series of ethical conversations from Wayne Grudem's Christian Ethics book. How have you found that book in terms of edifying and helpfulness to your soul? Well, I think it's been really helpful to me personally as I've studied through the lessons that I've presented. Um, I think it's good to take Scripture and apply it to situations in life so that we can uh, respond to them in a Christ-like way in accordance with the Scriptures. I think it's very helpful. And isn't Grudem just uh, remarkably packed with Scripture? Every time I read him, he comes up with passages of Scripture I hadn't thought of before yeah, that apply. It's essentially what does the whole Bible have to say about today's subject? That's right. That's right. Self-defense. Well, we're talking about Christian ethics, and today, as Howard, you mentioned, it's self-defense. Uh, that has application in probably everybody's life. It's not just what would I do if someone came uh, onto my property or into my home as a burglar or as a thief or as a uh, a person intending harm. That's maybe one scenario. But we also live in a in a society with other individuals who don't share Christian values. They don't share our moral framework. They don't share um, a high regard for human life, and they may not they may not um, share other values pertinent, such as um, resistance to mind-altering substances. And all of a sudden, you've got a clash of cultures going on, and someone decides your car is mine or your uh, safety is 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 something I'm going to take from you or. Uh, tragically and 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 sadly, we even hear in northern Minnesota hear about the loss of life at the uh, at the hands of a wrongdoer. Um, evil things are occurring and have occurred throughout human history, um, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. We have the same things happening because of the curse of sin in the world. Uh, when we talk about self-defense, when, when Wayne Grudem in his chapter on ethics talks about self-defense, uh, there are very specific passages of Scripture, and that's what we're going to get into today. But it's worth saying right at the outset that we're not hereby denying the sovereignty and providence of God. Right. We're not denying that at all. We're simply saying that under God's broad, universal, sovereign rule over His world, 
He's given to us his word to apply and carry out with the wisdom of his spirit. Right. And I think it's important in a situation like this that involves defending yourself or your family or potentially someone else from danger, you don't want to be making those sorts of decisions in the moment where your adrenaline is through the roof. You want to think these things through ahead of time, apply scripture, come up with your game plan based on scripture. Right. So in the heat of the moment, you've kind of already made your decision. Right. Well, one philosophical and theological step that maybe needs to be at least mentioned that we're aware of between God's sovereign rule over all things and our preparing ourselves in advance so we're not making adrenaline-driven decisions. One big step within that gap between the two is the fact that God has ordained governments to have authority to take life when justified, when necessary. Uh, in one of the other conversations, we talked with one of our other elders who's teaching through this, Conrad Yord, and we talked about capital punishment and the fact that the well-run governments, but any government under obedience to Romans 13 and Genesis 9, as well as other passages, has the right to justly examine and if found uh, guilty, put to death the individual who has taken life, taken human life. Um I'm for capital punishment in that the Bible seems to teach quite plainly that it's an appropriate response, that human lives made in the image of God, once when they're murdered, and that's been clearly determined by evidence, then it's right for God-ordained governments to end that person's life. It's appropriate. It's just. It, it reflects the teaching of the Scriptures. Now, that governmental role is established And there's offshoot conversations on war and other things that go beyond our scope today. But today's question is, is it ever right for Christians to use physical force to defend themselves or others against physical attack? Now, that's that's Grunem's phraseology and your phraseology. Appreciate that very much. How do we begin to answer that biblically? Well, I think... It's important to note what what you've already highlighted, that the government has the delegated authority from God himself to provide for safety for Mm -hmm. the citizens Mm -hmm. under the government. All right. So our first response always ought to be to defer to the authorities to help maintain our safety. What we're talking about is a scenario that may come up where the authorities are either not available or unable to get to you in time Mm -hmm. to affect a a self-defense or a defense of you or your family. So then what do we do? Mm. Um, I think it's important to look at, you know, the whole scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and examine in the Mosaic Law, how did it work? Mm -hmm. And then in the New Testament, what did Christ model for us? And I think the main point is that the scriptures do support the idea that it is morally right to defend yourself, to defend your family, and even to defend others in certain circumstances when the authorities can't do it for you. Right. I agree wholeheartedly, and amen, and amen. So um, what are some of the passages that give foundation to that moral right? Well, the first one that Grudem goes to is actually in the New Testament. It's in Matthew 5. It's in part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a scripture passage that he points out that people sometimes misinterpret oh, sure. to say that Jesus prohibited self-defense. And in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So there are those that would take that verse and say, we should not defend ourselves. We should always turn the other cheek. Pacifism. Yeah, Yeah. essentially pacifism. But I think if you look at what is really meant by that scripture, this uh, slapping on the the right cheek, that's not self-defense against a violent attack that's aiming to hurt you or kill you. That, in that context, was meant more as an act of, uh, responding to an offense. Right, an insult. An yeah. insult. Right, yeah. Very helpful. Well, and if someone would like to read more about that, Grudem's got uh, some videos online, and he has a tr- an article on that. He also has, of course, that section of the chapter in the book that we're referring to that that folks could uh, dig into more deeply if they're interested. But that's very helpful. That's very helpful. In the Old Testament, you find examples of um, King David, or, or before he's king, David, um, is opposed by Saul. So there's a good example of personal attack. Right. So in this, in this next example, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 19, verse 10. I think the scriptures are indicating that your first option when facing an attack is, if possible, to hide or escape, right. as opposed to fighting back. Right. So if we look at that passage, it says, And Saul, King Saul, sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So in this case, David didn't turn the other cheek. He rather eluded the spear, actually on multiple occasions, right? Sure, and escaped. What are other examples of escape where that's the model given to us in Scripture? Oh, there's lots of them. In the Old Testament, there's the case of the spies that were... Uh, uh, spying out Jericho, and they uh, escaped out of the city in Joshua. Uh, Paul escaped in Damascus by being lowered in a basket through mm. a window. Sure. And Jesus, on multiple occasions, escaped from danger prior to his crucifixion. Uh, it talked in a few cases where the people were trying to stone him or kill him, or in one case, throw him off of a hill or a cliff. And he just simply passed through their midst because his time was not yet. Right, right. So yeah. Jesus, on multiple occasions, escaped from danger. So, so plainly, we have a commended behavior in Scripture to seek to try to um, escape, uh, let the authorities handle directly with the, the wrongdoer, the perpetrator, and uh, try to spare oneself, one's family, one's, one's well-being. There are other passages in the Old Testament that allude to or even teach explicitly the idea of self-defense. When it's time to engage in defending property, belongings, family, animals even. Yeah, in the Old Testament, I mean, it's the first example is kind of a no-brainer, but it is right to defend yourself against an attack from an animal. Sure. I mean, David talks about defending the sheep from the lion and the bear, and he credits God for that. So right. it's clear that God wants us to defend ourselves against attacks from animals. The next one, though, on, although not explicitly using force in self-defense, is all the examples of defending yourself in court. Sure. So if you're attacked legally, it is morally right to defend yourself in court. And that's several examples of that. That's very helpful because I've actually heard some Christians blanketly apply the warning against taking a brother to court that shows up in 
Paul's letters in the Corinthians, to being involved in any defense whatsoever in court at all, but that's not a, a, a right application of that passage. There are many examples in the Old Testament. You, you provide several here, some in the book of Acts, uh, in the New Testament, where defending yourself is exactly what Paul does and teaches the others to do as well. Right. Even Stephen, you know, right before his uh, martyrdom, defended himself vehemently against the Sanhedrin in, in yeah. Acts 7. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So the next category after, you know, animal attack or, or a legal battle would be uh, a category that uh, Grudem approaches is false accusations. So somebody says something about you, should you turn the other cheek or should you defend yourself? And if you look at Scripture, overwhelmingly, people in the Scriptures do defend themselves against false accusations. Right. There's Paul, who does it several times in his epistles. In fact, you know, where the men's group is going through First and Second Corinthians, there's all sorts of responses by Paul to the Corinthians for against false attacks by his opponents there. Right. Yeah. Jesus defended himself numerous times against uh, false accusations. His general pattern, if you look at it closely, is to defend himself immediately and firmly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It wouldn't mean that that every that we must seek out every gossip statement, every false statement set against us, and sort of make it our life's mandate to make sure that everybody speaks truthfully truthfully about us. That seems like a right unworkable right. scenario, diverting us away from the very call of of uh, glorifying God. But it does seem that in the moment when you have the opportunity to set things to right, do so. Yeah, especially if they're slandering you for your belief in the scriptures or right. they're trying to say something falsely about what we believe. Right. That might be the time uh, to uh, refute what they have to say. Right. However, blessed is he who overlooks an offense. Yes, sure. Right. <laughs> so it's a wisdom thing. It's a wisdom thing. Well, I, I've certainly uh, I've certainly had experiences that come to my mind in my own life. Maybe you do too when you think about these passages. And then you allude to Proverbs 19.11, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. There's so many times when you simply speak the truth and you get the impression that it isn't being received, but you're happy to have spoken it anyway, mm-hmm. and then you leave the outcome in the hands of the Lord. Right. There is, of course, you know, I'm sure our listeners are thinking about, well, what about when Jesus was approaching his crucifixion? Ah, yeah. So there's the exception of, of where Christ largely became silent before his accusers. Sure. So Grudem points out that at that point, you know, Christ had a mission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew what he was here to do, mm-hmm. and he wasn't about to stop that from happening when the time came. So that would be the, ex- uh, the exception to him defending himself, generally speaking, was when it was time to submit to the Father's will, and to actually absorb false accusations as a criminal wrongly, in that case, he did not refute it. Right, and you'd even you'd even want to add, wouldn't you, just to grap- grapple with that example on a on a level deeper, the very fact that he refuted the false accusations all the way up prior to the final silence shows exactly what he's thinking while the silence is going on. I am still not guilty. I am an innocent, holy, righteous God-man that you are now killing, and I am allowing you to do it. I lay my life down. 
Mm-hmm. You heard me say for my whole three years of ministry, I'm not guilty of what you accuse me of. I'm still not guilty. Right. So the, the fact that it came where it came, having already declared his innocence, lends greater context of weight and power and poignancy and sweetness to the fact that he's like a, like a lamb led to slaughter, is silent, fulfilling the scriptures. Right. And no one takes his life. He lays it down of his own accord. Amen. Good. Such good things. Thank you. So passages that talk about defending against a physical attack, there's a lot of those as well, Old and New Testament. Yes. Yeah, probably the the primary verse in the Old Testament comes from Exodus 22, uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, If a a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies... There shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. Mm. Mm -hmm. So in this case, this is a classic case of a home invasion at night. And if the homeowner defends his house, even to the extent of killing the perpetrator or the thief in this case, there shall be no blood guilt for him, especially if it occurs in darkness where presumably he can't accurately assess right. the level of threat. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well handled. That's exactly right. Good. Well, we're talking. My name is Brent Nelson. We're talking on this podcast with Howard Hayes, one of the elders here at The Landing, and we're talking about self-defense as part of the larger structure of Christian ethics conversations we're having as a church. These chapters from Wayne Grudem's Christian Ethics book are being presented to our adult Sunday school class live. If you want to hear them live, come to the adult Sunday school class every Sunday morning. Uh, You'll hear one of our elders present marvelously on the way the Word of God guides us in our ethical decisions on a host of various topics. Our our base foundational uh, book of, of resource is Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem, a book recently published And uh, then we're taking another run at these conversations and topics at the podcast level, and that's what we're doing right now. So thanks for clicking on to this podcast and joining us. We're we're walking through passages of Scripture that actually enjoin self-defense upon us as the appropriate behavior. And Howard, you just mentioned Exodus 22. What other passages can we turn to to see the Word of God's instruction on self-defense when it's necessary? Well, I think another classic one was in Nehemiah. If you remember the context, uh, the, the Jews were coming back from the Babylonian exile, and the wall in Jerusalem was was in tatters, mm-hmm. and Nehemiah was uh, in charge of rebuilding the wall. And there were lots of people around Jerusalem then that opposed that work. So the Jews who were trying to rebuild the wall were under constant physical threat. Mm -hmm. So in Nehemiah 4, uh, verses 17 and 18, it says, Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Mm. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. Mm. So there's an example of uh, having weapons for self-defense and being ready to defend uh, not only yourself but others. Mm-hmm. And then in Esther, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, sure. if you uh, think about what was going on there, uh, there was an order put out to annihilate all the Jews, and then Queen uh, Esther came and approached the king and uh, Here's what the verse says. The king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, yeah. to destroy, to, 
kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So the history has looked favorably on these events and on events like them, where the expectation of anyone from any moral standard would say, of course you should gather your weapons and your ramparts and your your defenses in order to protect yourselves and your land and your families and your your people your your animals and well your goods against armed attack i mean that's just something deeply fundamental to the human condition to say that's an appropriate thing to do so there's no surprise we find that in esther 8 uh, which which leads to uh, a proverb you and i were talking about a few minutes ago proverbs 25:26 like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Isn't it interesting that it's the righteous man who should not give way before the wicked? He should, in fact, stand against the wicked right. in his righteousness. How is he like a polluted fountain or a muddied spring? He can't be trusted. If he's a righteous man, I'm a righteous man. But when it comes right down to defending, you can't count on me. I'm going to give way to the wicked. Right. That's a betrayal of sorts. You can't trust that individual. Uh, thereby, he's very much like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain. Right. Not good for anything. Not good for anything. So that's pretty powerful proverb, actually, yes. summarizing those passages that you uh, that you already shared with us. Others uh, that come to your mind, maybe in the New Testament, since we've we've uh, looked at several already in the Old Testament, what New Testament passages point to the idea that we do well to defend ourselves when it's appropriate? Well, where, where Grudem goes next is, okay, he's talking about defending ourselves. And, and then he takes a little turn. And he says, let's talk about whether it's right to defend others. Mm-hmm. So he does look at some, there, there's one key Old Testament passage here too that talks about our, our duty to protect others. Mm-hmm. It comes from Deuteronomy 22, verses 25 and 27, uh, through 27. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death, because he met her in the open country, and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. Mm. So the assumption there is, if you hear someone crying for help, you yeah. are obligated to provide assistance. Yeah. So that gives you the support for defending others. Absolutely. Um, scripture goes on to talk about the weak and the fatherless. In that culture, the father was the one responsible for protection of the family. So the fatherless were essentially very vulnerable uh, Psalm 82 says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Hmm. So there's a clear principle that we are to defend those who are defenseless. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Jesus teaches about uh, use of the sword. There's some famous New Testament passages, the one specifically in Luke where uh, there's actually an injunction or an instruction to purchase a sword. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, in Luke 22, 36 through 38, uh, it reads, He said to them, Jesus speaking, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, 
and likewise a knapsack. Remember earlier he told them not to take them. So now we're to take those and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So what does Grudem draw from that passage? Well, in that culture, swords were the weapon of choice for Mm self-defense. And it's also clear from that passage that some, at least two of Jesus' disciples, had been habitually carrying swords. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he evidently had not prohibited that. But as the crucifixion approached, you know, Jesus assesses that the threat of violence against his disciples was at a heightened state. Then he directs them to carry a sword. And not only that, but if you don't have one, go out and buy one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then the listeners may be wondering, well, well, what about when Jesus rebuked Peter when he right. used his sword on the night that he was betrayed? Right. It was a little different there. At that point, you know, Jesus knows that his ultimate mission is, in effect, beginning that night when he was betrayed. And he didn't want his disciples to usher in or attempt to usher in the kingdom of God through force. Right. So he rebuked Peter and told him, interestingly, not to get rid of your sword, but to put it away. Right. So he's not saying get rid of it, but just... Now is not the time. And, you know, that was based on the situation at hand at that moment. Yes, it was Jesus moving toward the cross and uh, Peter using the sword to take off an ear from Malchus, one of the servants, was not aiding or in agreement with or ushering in the Lord Jesus into his uh, being lifted up on the cross. So that's that's a brilliant observation. It's also helpful to know, and we're happy to repeat, that we're not advocating for, nor is Wayne Grudem or anyone who holds this position, that the kingdom of God comes by force. It doesn't come by force. No. But in fact, the the similar teaching alongside the truth that Christ's kingdom doesn't come by force is also that it's appropriate and wise and, and in, not only permitted but instructed for disciples to carry some form of self-defense, right. they don't. They it isn't necessary that every individual carry a, a, a weapon of self-defense at all times, but it certainly is within the realm of Christian obedience to do so. Right, right. And remember, the people at the time when they were looking forward to the Messiah coming, they thought he was going to come as a military leader, sure, and overthrow the Roman government sure. by force and usher in his own kingdom. And Jesus is very clearly saying that is not the way it's going to work. Right. Well, this is fantastic. This is helpful. We have, we have more to talk about. In fact, we need to spend time in our next conversation talking about how this pertains to our response as Christians to specific persecution that comes to us as believers in Jesus Christ. We've alluded to that a little bit in these passages, but it's worth quoting especially some passages in 1 Peter about instructions for how to deal with a Christian's preparation in heart and mind and in behavior responding to expected persecution. And then another question that came up, rightly so, wisely so, how can parents instruct their children when their children are sent off to school or out to play or are interacting even online with someone who bullies them? How should we instruct children to respond 
very often that will distill down what we believe about the whole matter if we ask about it in its application to children. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. Again, uh, my name is Brent Nelson. I've been in uh, rich conversation over the scriptures with one of our elders, Howard Hayes, a dear brother in Christ, co-laborer in the gospel here. Uh, And we have sought to try to bring passages of scripture that pertain to this question of self-defense. We've been communicating and reflecting on the chapter on self-defense written by Wayne Grudem in his book, Christian Ethics. So we're grateful to him as well. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us. We're happy to hear from you. And uh, may the joy of the Lord be your strength. May the hope of God be your hope for this life and the life to come. Uh, may your uh, soul be saved now and unto the very end. For as, as a, a mighty brother just before going on to be with the Lord said to his pastor, the greatest thing in all the world is to be saved. We love and believe that with all our heart. Here at The Landing, we hope you do as well. Thanks for listening to Life in Christ. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.